Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. I've got a few things to say, and it's always a dangerous thing when the preacher has a few things to say this morning. But I've come ready to be able to bring a word for us that I believe is in season, and I'm praying that it will stir hearts here this morning. We are, of course, finishing off our, our mini-series, our, 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 our series on legacy, where we are kindly yet boldly calling the church to be able to rise in this time. And today, I want to be able to bring some more, um, I guess, more foundational thoughts in regards to the why we are doing this. And uh, I want to speak into a, a, I guess, a theme or a title here this morning, A House for the Next Generation. A House for the Next Generation. It blows my mind constantly that I am here today because of many that have gone before me. And that's the truth for all of us here today. And now we have an opportunity to be able to be a part of welcoming and ushering and preparing the way for the next wave of people to be able to come into our church. And that's from all ages, from the young all the way through to the old. And, and so as a church, we are, we are rallying, we are encouraging, we are, we are asking everyone to go away and pray to God, seek God of how can I be a part of building the house of God. And uh, there'll be an opportunity that comes out today to to be able to, I guess, be able to, to be able to give into the house of God for specific projects. I know Carissa and Ali last week they outlined the fact that we're wanting to continue to build and invest into our kids' ministry. We are wanting to build and invest into our young adults' ministry. And I'm praying and believing that even the section over in the back of the hall there will become a place where we can actually build and invest into a low sensory room so that everyone can be able to come into the house of God and be able to encounter the presence of God. And so, without talking more about that, uh, most of you guys are very aware of that, I wanted to go into a bit more of the why. I wanted to, um, for you guys to capture the heart beat of, of the why here this morning. And uh, if you've got your Bibles here this morning, why don't you turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a piece of scripture that I've preached on many times beforehand, but it is a, a certain, when I was reading it this week, I, I really felt as though there was one particular aspect I wanted to bring out of it, of it for us here this morning. And it starts off by saying... <coughs> One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is now died, and, now, and you know that he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. So a little bit of context right now is that Elisha, he would have had a group of men, fellow prophets, probably people that would have been a bit like his staff, go around with him. And one of his members have actually just passed away. And the widow or the person who's obviously married to this man has now come to Elisha and said, hey, I've, I've got a situation right now where um, my, my husband or my family, that we were in debt. And the culture of the time is that if you couldn't repay the debts that you owed to the creditor, that one of the mechanisms to be able to repay that debt would that be that you can actually basically have your, your children go into a place of slavery. And that would often take place for roughly around seven years. And there would be a commitment to that family to, to repay the debt, that there would be a, com, a, a basic compensation being made where the sons would become slaves to this creditor. And so this woman who's obviously just lost her husband is now in fear of losing her sons as well. So you can imagine the desperation. You can imagine the place that, that this, this woman's coming to Elisha with. And Elisha comes and says, what can I do to help you? Tell me 
what do you have in your house? And she is in a place where she looks around, no doubt, and you can picture them in the room. And Elisha, he can probably see this little small jar of oil in the, on the, in the pantry somewhere. And she says, nothing, I've got nothing. And I can imagine in that moment, Elisha's probably like, nothing? Nothing at all? And she looks around and says, well, I've actually got this little jar of, or little flask of olive oil. And Elisha said, we can use this. This is something that the Lord can use. And she, he goes and says, borrow as many empty jars. Well, watch this, as many? So let's not think small. Come get as many empty. This is not half full. This is not, you know, sort of, you know, jars of oil, which did a little bit of it in there. He says, go and find as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbours. And notice he doesn't go and say, go and find more oil. He says, go and find more empty jars. He goes and says, hey, I want you to go and find empty vessels so the Lord can actually go and fill those empty vessels. He says, then go out to your home with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons, everyone say her sons. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. And soon every container was filled to the brim. I love that we worship a God not just enough, not just of, you know, this, this will be it, this will sort of do. Um, we worship a God of overflow, of bringing things to the brim. So bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. And he repeats, there aren't any more, he told her. And notice this, and that's when oil stopped flowing. Notice the oil didn't stop whilst the empty vessels were there. The oil stopped when the vessels ran out. The supply wasn't the issue for oil from God. The supply of vessels became the challenge. And that is the point when the actual oil stops flowing in his time. It's not that God stopped pouring. It's the fact that the vessels were no longer there. And when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, go and sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. I mentioned beforehand, I've, I've, I've spoken, I've looked at this passage many times beforehand. And the thing that stood out to me as I was reading through the scripture during the week was that it was her sons that were part of the miracle. That her sons were a part of the process. That yes, this was a time when Elisha was obviously instructing the woman to go and do what she was told to do. But it was her sons that were part of this. And I believe that God is calling us to be a multi-generational church that as her sons have been very much a part of this. And I'm believing that as we talk about this idea of legacy, that we are very much thinking about the next generation. We're thinking about what is God doing in the next. That yes, God is very much in the now. And we honor all that God has done in our past. But certainly we are fiercely loyal to what is ahead. And that God is going to continue to pour out when we have empty vessels that are ready to go. So I wonder if we can pray this morning. As we can lean into God's word, as we can lean into the revelation, I'm praying that there will be revelation being dropped in people's hearts today. I'm going to say some things that are probably going to be confronting, going to be some challenging. But again, I want to be a pastor that's not just tickling your ears here this morning. I want to be a pastor that actually is um, going after the word of God and the truth that I believe that God's got for our church as well. And so I want us to lean in here this morning. So why don't we close our eyes? We bow our heads as we come before God. So God, we come, we come to, to you we come to your word. We come into your presence boldly here this morning. 
And God, we incline our hearts, we incline our spirit into you today. And God, I pray, Lord Father, that we may have indeed open ears, open minds, open spirits, Lord Father, ready to receive all that you have from us, for us, Lord God. Lord Jesus, we love you, we worship you, and we lift you up above every other name here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let me go through some, 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 some statistics with you guys here this morning. Roughly 80% of everyone who will call upon the name of Jesus as their Lord and Saviour will do so before the age of 18. Roughly four out of five people who will declare Jesus as their Christ, their Saviour, will do so before the age of 18. And why don't, just right now, why don't, why don't you put your hand up? If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time before you're 18, why don't you put your hand up? Let's look around in just a second. Okay. God works in all ages. But there's something about the next generation, there's something about what's to come that he wants to be able to pour out a special anointing upon. This is why I'm fiercely loyal to, to, to making sure we, are, we follow after this word that God gave us of building from the bottom up. Building from the bottom up. It's why I believe that our parents are our greatest evangelists we have today. Some of you might think, I'm not an evangelist. Well, you have an opportunity to be able to lead your children in the ways of the Lord. Guess what? You're an evangelist. You get to be able to point people to Jesus in all that you do. This is why I believe that atmospheres matter. This is why I believe it's important to have your kids in church. It's important to have your kids in youth ministry. It's important to have your kids in kids ministry. It's important to be able to make sure when we're praying for our kids at night time, we're not praying mamby-bamby prayers. That we are praying for open heaven upon our kids. You know, I've been having this revelation recently that as I pray for my children, as I hold them in my hands, I'm not just praying, Lord, help them sleep for eight hours so I can get some sleep tonight. I'm praying, God, open heaven upon their life. I'm praying, Lord, come and set them apart forever, Lord Father. I'm saying, back out, back off hell, back off devil. You've got no right over my kids. That they are set apart and they are redeemed for the one and only God. That we are called to be able to pray in big prayers. I'm sorry, Ricky Bobby, but we don't believe in baby Jesus. I'm sorry, we don't have a, a junior Holy Spirit. That we've got to be reminded that we are worshiping the King of Kings. And we can call on the authority of the King of Kings and declare that over our children. A house for the next generation. A house for the next generation. Now, if this stat is true, which it is, then we ought to have a belief as a church that we are radically committed to the next generation. We build our services, our thinking, and not just to reach about what was, although we honour what has been. You know, just recently I've been had a chance to talk with people about the history of our church, and it is magnificent about what God has done. And again, I can't overemphasize the power of God and what he's already done in our life, in our church. We always need to honor our story and what God is doing now. I look out in front of you right now and I think we are so blessed to have the church that we have right now. But also we get excited, we are in faith at what is to come. Research again suggests that, um, well doesn't suggest, it says that 24% of Australia's population right now is under the age of 18. But you know what? That's 100% of our future. Actually, in MacArthur area, the area that we live in, which roughly has about 300,000 people, that statistic is actually a little bit higher. And we know that there's actually that 30% of, uh, of, of our population in our area is under the age of 18. 
So we've got roughly 100,000 people in this space right now that we have an opportunity. And we, the church, and other churches and local ministries have the opportunity to be able to reach out and transform and see God come and move in their lives. We have to be having a focus of building for the next generation. So I have a heart to reach Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Can I tell you, I'm an old school, I, I, I like to think I'm more Gen X than millennial, but technically I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a millennial. I don't even get millennials that much these days. Block your roots for a second. I don't really get and understand Gen Zs and Gen Alphas all that much these days. But you know what? I'm radically, uh, I'm radically on, the, on the move of wanting to be able to reach them. I've got children right now who are in Gen Alpha. So I'm believing that, that, that the mark of God and the power of God will be on Gen Zs because Gen Zs will then lead the way for Gen Alphas and so forth onwards. And so you ought to have this like stirring in our heart that as a multi-generational church where you all get to play a part in setting up for our future, setting up for our tomorrows. Let's talk about Gen Z just real quickly. I, um, you virgins done some... Amazing stats all around the world. And they've got research from uh, versions, by the way. If you download the Bubble app, that's, that's version. That's, that's the organisation there. And they've done some statistics specifically for Australia as well. And they've got um, some stats coming out. So only 6% of Gen Z today in Australia has a biblical worldview. What's that mean? That means when I look at scripture, this is all truth. 6%. Gen Z spend roughly seven hours a day on this thing. Scrolling, 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 scrolling. Gen Z today are dealing with the highest rates of depression and anxiety in history. Atheism has doubled from millennials, so my generation, to Gen Zs. Doubled. Gen Zs, those who identify with LGBTQA+, has doubled from millennials to Gen Zs. 25% 25% of Gen Zs today have grown up without a father in the home. So this is a bit of a picture of where Gen Zs are at right now. And I have this firm belief, this is why I have this conviction that what we do matters, because I believe that it is the church, that I believe that it is the Christ that is working in and through the church, the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the answer to what we need in our society right now. So we aren't trying to be the young church, we aren't trying to be the cool church, we aren't trying to be the church that, that goes out and, and tickles people's ears. No, 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 not at all. In fact, there might be some people who come into our church that can't handle us. It might be better for them to go somewhere else. But I am calling upon that we be a church that indeed has our, our hearts and our minds inclined to what is coming. I've got three simple points today. Number one, God has always had a plan to use next generation. I love in verse 5 when it says, they brought the jars. The sons brought the jars. The sons were a part of the story there. The whole house was involved in the miracle. And we look at some young people God used in, in, throughout Scripture. God gave Joseph a dream. God gave um, David a Goliath. God gave a boy and some, some bread and some fish to be able to feed the 5,000. God gave Samson a calling. God gave Esther a mission. God gave Mary a Messiah to be able to carry. God gave disciples a mandate. Because always had a plan for the next generation. Always had a plan. Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 to 7 says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Every single one of us right now needs to understand this truth. None of you are a mistake. None of you are a coincidence. No one of you are, are just, just happen to be. That the God 
God Almighty, he knew every single one of you before you were born. Before you were born, I set you apart. You know, this isn't just some sort of poetic kind of, you know, translation here. This is the truth. Every single one of you have been set apart. That God loved you and he knew you. And he appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. God's saying, don't bring age into an ageless God. (laughs) It's the wrong kind of statement, the wrong kind of excuse to be able to make. And watch this, here's this. That um, the devil will come out and say, you're too old or you're too young. And both will be in the simultaneous. So he'll come out and say, you're too young. Maybe I need to be on this side of the room, not this one here. <laughs> the devil comes and say, you're too young. You know, go and live your life. Go and, go and get yourself set up. Go and sort yourself out. Go and, go and establish yourself. Go and have a foundation that you can live off. And all those things aren't necessarily wrong. But then you get to a place when you hit your 20s and 30s and 40s and, and you've been doing your own thing and suddenly... You think, oh, I need to be able to live my life and be able to make sure I'm honouring the Lord and make sure I'm serving the Lord. And then the next thing the devil will say, hey, guess what? You're too old now. You've missed your chance. You actually, you blew it. You weren't listening back then. And so the enemy, the devil, will come out and say to both, you're too old and you're too young. Or you're too young and you're too old. And both are the enemies that, of, of a lie and a deception that you want to try and use. Can I tell it doesn't matter what age you are, every single person can be used by the Lord. I love that we've got a Brenda Bell in here who's still in our prayer team, who's still lifting up the name of the Lord, who's still declaring truth, who's still being able to ask for the Holy Spirit to move in our church. I love the fact that we have persons from, from Brenda all the way through to the youngest of ages, serving the Lord, lifting the Lord up, and making a difference in the world today. Age is not the consideration that we need to make sure we have. And I believe when I, um, when I got saved as a 16-year-old, <coughs> I, uh, I'm so glad that I didn't, actually, didn't just have a spiritual encounter, a spiritual moment, but I was then a part of a church, a small church of roughly 60 to 70 people who then welcomed me into a community where my salvation became more than just a moment it became something that flourished and something that's more. There was, a, there was an old lady, she was Serbian, and uh, I could barely understand what she was, you know, she had a very, very thick accent. And I thought to myself, I'm not too sure if you're praying for me or you're delivering me right now, what's happening right now? But uh, she was like this most beautiful old lady and she had the gift of hospitality. And we would have had about seven or eight young adults during the time and um, it was sort of, that sort of 16 through about 20 sort of age. And once a month, she would invite the young adults back to her home and she'd cook for us. And as you can see, I was obliged into that invitation and I quite enjoyed that opportunity. And <clears throat> her name was Lois. And I'll never forget Lois, even though I had no idea what she was saying half the time, I remember feeling I belong here. I found my spot here. I found an opportunity to be able to say, you know, this... This kind of makes sense. This whole God thing I'm still figuring out. And now I've got the kindness and the generosity and the hospitality. And we had an environment and an atmosphere whereby I knew that God loved me. But then I was also part of a church that was barracking for me, that was supporting me, that was praying for me, that was, that was forgiving me, that when I made mistakes, that was behind me, that was certainly saying, hey, Dan, you belong here. 
And my prayer in a world that gets lost so quickly that we'll indeed have that same heartbeat in our church. We say, you know what? We're all different. We've got backgrounds that are different. We've got different ages, different postcards we brought up. Some big, some small, everything in between. But we all have an opportunity to be part of welcoming and building the house of God here. Okay, so God has always had a plan to use next generation. I want to also tell a very big truth, right? Secondly, can I tell you the enemy has always had a plan to destroy the next generation? Well, this has got very serious all of a sudden, hasn't it? We need to be aware of this. That we live in a world today, a yes, there's the tangible, yes, there's the things that we can see, but we live in an environment, there's a spiritual battle going on that if we are blinded to it, we'll just flow in the stream of it forever. And again, I want to be a pastor here today that reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle right now. And we don't need to get scared by it because we got to remind ourselves that he's already won the victory. <laughs> we're on the winning side right now, but we're also going to remind ourselves that we have the authority to be able to make a difference in our today. Verse 1 basically says in that scripture that, Sir, hey, um, um, basically we need a miracle because if I don't receive this miracle, my sons are going to be sold into slavery. This was the heartbeat of the mum during that particular time. You know, to be a slave means that you're forced to obey. Slavery is forced obedience. And if we don't reach the next generation, I think we're going to find ourselves in times when there's going to be another cycle of slavery. And I'm not talking about a physical slavery right now. I'm talking about soul slavery. I'm talking about people who are just glued to this. I'm talking about zombies, basically, the, 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 alive on the outside, dead on the inside. And that's not necessarily an age thing, by the way. I think it could be of all ages experiencing this sort of kind of slavery. And the devil, and maybe this is the time to buck up a little bit. <laughs> um, if you've got your, your seatbelts on and haven't quite yet put them on yet, put them on now. In fact, I actually had someone ask me this week, hey, what are you preaching about, Dan? And um, as, a, as a fellow pastor, and he said, hey, aren't you actually in a series where you go basically and call people to, to raise money? And I said, well, first of all, I'm not a fundraiser. I'm a preacher of the word. And so, you know, I'm not going to be a fundraiser. I'm not a professional fundraiser. In fact, everything I'm saying today is probably not necessarily going to be helping people to, to give money. But I want people to actually understand that we're not necessarily about that. We're about people having their eyes open to what we're trying to do right now. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to fundraise. But I'm trying to help people understand that, that what we do matters. That together we build the house of God. Together we're a part of being able to do this. And we've got to understand that the devil has always come to kill, steal and destroy. And he won't come in a big old red suit with a pitchfork. But he will come through confusion. He will come through deception. He will come through questioning identity. He will come through addictions. He will come through the source and the feeding of, of brokenness. This is how he comes. And uh, as I was thinking about this particular thought, I, um, I went into some... I went, I, went to the, I went to the book of Daniel. I believe that God was leading me to the book of Daniel. And I believe that there's some prophetic insight into what was happening then to where we find ourselves today. I want to unpack some of these truths. I want to unpack some of these thoughts here with you here today. Because sometimes when you look at scripture, first of all, nothing's new on the sun. We're in, we're in cycles. In other words, the word of God actually can be our help because what we're experiencing now, I don't believe is here for the first time. 
And we got a chance. Now, when I talk about the book of Daniel, people often go to end times and thinking about, you know, what's the end of the world and so forth. I'm not necessarily talking about that. About that. But what I am excited to say that in August, we're actually going to be talking about the second coming of the King, we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. And can I tell you already, it is a good topic to be able to talk about because we are on the winning side. And if you are set apart and saved and give your life to Jesus, we've got nothing to fear. And I want to help people to remind that we are living for eternity, not just living for now. And so that's going to be an opportunity we're doing in August. But, but Daniel, if you look at particularly reading, for the sake of time, we don't have necessarily an opportunity to read chapters 1 to the 3 or 4 today in its entirety. But if you were to unpack and look at those scriptures, I believe it's a, very much a prophetic time, example of the culture and the world that we live in here today. And so let me walk you through some of these thoughts. Um, most of us will be aware that there was a, an exile period where the Israelites, they went and they were taken captive by the people of, of, in, in Babylon. And the king of the time, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. Who knows that would be a good spelling bee word to be able to use for kids? Um, Nebuchadnezzar. I know when I had to write it out a few times, I've constantly got the, uh, the spelling wrong the whole time. But Nebuch- King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the, the king of the time. <coughs> and basically... When the, um, when the Israelites, when the children of God, they were brought in to captive, he went and said, hey, I want you to go out. He talked to his, to his little his guys, his, his, his warriors, his, his people. So I want you to go and find the strongest, the best looking, the smartest, the boldest. I want you to go and find the, the, the smartest of these kind of guys, basically the age of 15 through to about 25. And I want you to go and handpick them. And I want you to bring them to me. And then he does a few things because his ultimate goal is to basically have them serve him and serve the the purposes of of his kingdom. But he knows he can't just necessarily do that without doing a few things first. Which again, I want to unpack for us here because I think this is what's happening in our world a little bit today. And what he does, the very first thing he says, hey, bring them into our courts. And the first thing in verse 5, chapter 1, he says, I want to feed them and I want to give them wine. What's this? He's providing a need, he's meeting a need for them. Now, if you look at the Israelites in the time, they were in a, a captivity. They, they weren't actually necessarily having all their needs being met. And so these boys, these young men are coming into a place where suddenly he's re- they're receiving all the food they want from the king's courts and they're receiving all the wine. He keeps them fed, he keeps them drunk. And so these people are finding themselves in a place where a need is being met. Can I tell you, we all have needs that we want to have met. Every single one of us. And we need to go and make sure we go into the right source to be able to meet those needs. These, a lot of these young men, obviously quite a few of them were enforced in this place, they went to the King Nebuchadnezzar. They were being met, their, their, their need was being met by a king that didn't have the right intentions for them. We live in a world today, like I said, we, that we are all wanting needs to be fulfilled and met. That's why some of us find ourselves being stuck on social media. Why? Because we've got a, we've got a need of belonging. And the lie is that, hey, if you've got 1,053 friends on social media, then you've found belonging. That's why we live for the approval of likes. And if people accept me, that means I must be, find myself in a place of belonging. Let's look at another one. Let's look at the, the lie of um, instant gratification when it comes to pornography. A need sexually can be met in the mode of pornography these days. Again, you go to the wrong source, you find yourself being entrapped by that. We look at substance abuse. We look at all the range of different kinds of addictions, needs being met in ways that were never intended by God to be met. 
And this is what king, the king starts off. He says, I, I see a need they have, and I can have them come into my courts. I can manipulate them in that sort of space. So he starts off by, by meeting a need. And as I'm talking, I want you to be aware of this is what's happening in our world. Not to be scared by it, but to be aware of it. Yeah. So he satisfies a need. The next thing he says, hey, I need to be able to train them. And so he actually recognises that three years will be an important time frame to have train these men. I remember some other guy trained some men for three years as well. We understand that everything of the kingdom is an anti-kingdom. And so he says, I can get these guys in my training, my, my space for three years. I can make a difference. I can shape, I can mould, I can control, I can manipulate, I can change these men. And so he basically does that for a period of three years. And the end, the goal again is that he, they will serve him and that they'll be basically brainwashed by him. The next thing that Nebuchadnezzar does is he actually makes them all eunuchs. Now, if you want to go and Google what a eunuch is right now, you can go and do that. But basically, their, their masculinity is removed from them. And so what happens is that the genitalia is actually removed. You're thinking, I never thought I'd become the church and hear about this today. <laughs> we see the deforming of masculinity, which I look in our world to right now, we see that all the time as well. We see the fact that in, our, in examples in our world today, you look on any kind of cartoon these days, who are the butt of all the jokes? Dads are. Now, there's obviously a responsibility that dads have to have and men have to have, and, and there's an authority and a responsibility that they have to carry. But I'm, this is why I'm pro- we can't be taken away and stripping away masculinity in our world these days. We're actually doing the opposite. We need to find ourselves in days where, where masculinity is celebrated and helped and aided and cheered on and, and be able to be prayed for and, 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 and nurtured well. But we see, actually, in this time that the masculine is taken away. Next thing that he does, he changes their names. We will know that three famous men who went into the fiery furnace were Shadrach, Meshach, and um, Abednego. Everyone know those guys? Yeah? Those weren't their real names. There was a changing of name that took place for those, those three men. And what's what their actual original names meant compared to what they became? For Shadrach, their original name was Hananiah. So his original name was Hananiah, which means God is gracious. Shadrach, that means servant of Aku, which was a moon god during the time. And it also means I am fearful and I'm afraid. Look, look at Meshach. So Meshach, um, his, his name was Michelle or Michael, and basically his name was just like God. It's not a bad name to mean, right? Meshach means... I am despised. Abagnego, their original name, his original name was Azariah. And shout out to Corey and to um, Andy from Townsville, if you're listening to this podcast. They've just named their, their, their little baby um, Azariah. And Azariah means God has helped me. Whereas Abagnego means worshipper of Nebu. And Nebu was the, 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 the god of death during the time. And so we start to see the shaping. So we've seen, um, I'll, I'll, I'll meet a need. I will now bring them into my care. I will now strip them of their masculinity. I will now actually now change their names and change their identities. And interesting enough that we actually see Daniel, he received another name as well. And that was Bel- um, Belteshazzar. Um, Belteshazzar, which means... Um, protector, which means Baal protected the king. And Baal at the time was a false god. But what's interesting <coughs> is that, that Daniel, he never took on the name. 
If you read through the book of Daniel, you'll always say, I, Daniel, I, Daniel, I, Daniel. There was an understanding, I am not taking on this name. I'm not changing my identity. I am holding on to the identity that God has given me. And God, and Daniel actually means is my name, is that God will be my judge. And so we see that he rejects that notion. He rejects that. In fact, he's actually promoted as he does that. And if you, so basically the king strips of their genitalia. He strips them of their identity, renames them. He places confusion over them. Hello, 2023. Hello, 2023. Again, let's not get scared. Let's not get worried. Let's be aware of what's taking place right now. The sexual revolution we started back in the 60s we see the root of rebellion, we now see the fruit of confusion. It's everywhere. People are confused. Identifies this, identifies that, and you think, what's, what's going on with our world right now? And we're seeing the, the marks of subtle moments of what took place in Babylon being replayed in our world today, over and over again. You have to understand that what's happening, this is happening in our culture right now. We live in a deceived and confused world. And I believe it's the church. I believe it's, it's Christ that's going to be the difference. Okay, so the confusion's happening. And let's look at the next step. So Nebuchadnezzar says now in Daniel 3 verses 15, says, now I want you to take you to a place of worship. I've been able to bring you in, train you, mold you. And now I'm asking you to be able to come and worship something different. This is what the world want. The world will want our worship, not in here, but elsewhere. Yes. It says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then very good. But if you don't worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. So he's saying, um, you can hear my music, you can see my image, and when you do that, you will bow down to it. But if you don't believe what we believe, then we'll kill you. In our world today, that's been called, we'll cancel you. You don't believe what we believe, we'll cancel you. And this is what's taking place in our world right now. So they say basically, and I, I love this point. So like these men, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they had this moments like, you know what? We've been a part of this, and I had this revelation of, we're heading in the wrong direction right now. We need to stop this. And they say, hey, when that music comes on, when the images are seen, we're not bowing down to this. We're not taking a knee. We're not going down and be able to submit to your plans of, of, of what we, you want um, us to be able to worship you. And even if that means that you'll throw us into the fiery furnace, then so be it. I love their kind of faith. They knew that they worshipped a God that was big enough to be able to save them. But they even say, even if he doesn't save us, we will not bow down to this. We will not bow down to this. And church, we are not going to be a church that, that bows down to the world runner. But right, we take a stand in these times and we recognize what's happening and we're aware of what's around and we don't get fearful, but we pray and we believe and we, we know that it's the Lord above everything else that can be the answer that our world desperately needs right now. And I love the fact that they're thrown into the fiery furnace. They've got the, the ropes, they've got the, 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 the tires around them. And, and during that time, they're in there. And Nebuchadnezzar comes up and says, hey, isn't, is, there, is there four of them in there right now? 
Is there four of them in there, right? Didn't we throw three of them in there? There's four of them. Can I tell you, there's a fourth man in the furnace. Can I tell you, there's a fourth man in our church. Can I tell you, right, there's a fourth man in your marriage. There's a fourth man in your family. There's a fourth man in your universities. There's a fourth man in your schools. There is a fourth man, church. He is God Almighty. He is the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus. And I love the fact that as they came out, the only things that were singed was the fact that there was the ropes that was holding them back. My prayer, church, is that we won't be going to the highlands to be in, in, in fear, but recognize that when all this implodes, and it will, when all this implodes, when the disappointment of what the world offers, people wake up to, that we'll be a church with doors wide open. That will be a church that graciously is ready to be able to receive. That will be a church that um, a whole way through has the foundations on worshiping God and that we will be able to point people to Jesus and that salvations will flow, that healings will flow, that freedoms will flow. This is the prayer that I'm hoping for in our church. So God has a plan. The enemy has a plan. My third and last point here today, and Libby, you want to come on up, is that I believe the answer's in the house. We don't be looking elsewhere. I'm looking at the answer right now. We are the answer our community needs right now. Dan, I don't have anything but a small little jar. It's okay. Look what happened with the small little jar. God multiplied it. The answer's not in the excess. The answer is in our willingness to use what we have and, and, and to be able to give what we have. What she thought was little and in, what she thought was little and insignificant, God multiplied and blessed over and over and over and over again. I believe there's oil in this house. I believe there's oil in this house. We are the part of the answer. The miracle was never in the jar. The miracle was always in the God that poured. But my hope, my prayer is that we are in a place where we are empty, willing ready vessels each and every one of us and I don't know everyone's story again today maybe is your very first time in, in church today but it's my prayer is that we understand that as we present ourselves to God as we make room as we make space as we have vessels in the side of us that are ready and willing for God to pour into God's promise is that he will pour he will pour We live in a very busy world today. One, lots of distractions. And so much of our life can get filled up with stuff. Who knows that's the truth? And sometimes Sunday mornings is a chance to like, okay, just put it all aside. Here I am. And sometimes this posture of like, hands out, whether it's literally or just figuratively, my, my life is, is yours. I surrender it all. I yield myself to you. This is the posture that I believe we can all play. And it's the posture that as we do that, God will pour out. God will pour out. We've got some practical things that we're hoping to be able to do in our church. And they're good. They're great. But they're the jars. I'm believing that as we continue to have this posture of God, well, I'm truly beyond this series. I've got here I am. I'm ready. I'm open. I'm ready to receive. God, fill me. 
over and over and over again, then that will become the thing that our world sees and is transformed by. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. Oh, 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 oh,